to walk with me. We're gonna check out some really cool trees. We're gonna hang around and talk about all those things in nature that we can't live without. Let's go get nerdy and yeah, let's get nerdy about nature. Nerdy and yeah, let's get nerdy about nature, baby. Nerdy and yeah, let's get nerdy about nature. Come on, let's get nerdy about nature. What is up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Nerdy About Nature pod chat series. My name is Ross. I'm going to be your host here on this audiovisual adventure into the outdoor world. And today, I'm incredibly stoked to bring you a conversation that I had with Indra Hare on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Now, Indra is an incredibly amazing, well-spoken, and inspiring young woman of Indian descent. And she does a lot of work um, in the diversity, equity, and inclusion realm of the outdoor sports world. And uh, in this conversation, we talk a lot about what it was like growing up as a young brown woman in a world dominated by traditionally white males, and also what it means to racialize the outdoors. So really great conversation. I think it's really pertinent in these times. Um, There was a slight bit of a hiccup at the beginning of the episode. I mean, you know, it's actually kind of uncomfortable to talk about. I'm I'm kind of embarrassed. So I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just going to let you all, with your naturally inquisitive minds, pick up the pieces and figure out what happened. So without any further ado, here we go. Well, that's embarrassing. (laughs) Round two. We just talked for like 20 minutes and I totally forgot to hit record. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, Well. We're working out the kinks. We're working out the kinks. It's new. I'm still getting used to talking into my own head here. Wow. Episode two. (laughs) Indra Hare, welcome to the Nerdy About Nature podcast. Take two. It's better the second time around. How are you doing? I'm so good. Oh man, I feel like I'm having deja vu right now. Um, yeah, welcome. Thanks thank, for coming out. Thank you so much welcome for having me. Welcome to my cozy little uh, gazebo rain shelter. I love it. Yeah. It's nice to be outside. It's got character. It's a little rickety, but... It's standing. It works. So that's good. Yeah. Um, would you like to start by, I guess, giving us a little bit of an introduction, who you are and uh, why you're here? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so I'm Indra. My pronouns are she, her, and I currently live on the unsurrendered land of the Squamish First Nation. Uh, But I'm super grateful to have grown up in and around the unsurrendered land of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish First Nations in Vancouver. I grew up and have spent my entire life on the West Coast, so I'm really, really grateful for that. And I would say that the reason I'm here today is because I'm a massive advocate um, for diversity, equity, and inclusion in all aspects of life, but with a particular huge passion for it within the snow sport community and within the outdoors in particular. Mm -hmm. And tell me a little bit about growing up in Vancouver. What was that like? Uh, it was, it was, it was interesting. Um, I, yeah, so I grew up in Vancouver and both of my parents immigrated here, uh, when they were about three years old. So my dad from India and my mom from England, but she's also Indian as well. Um, and so, Grew up at kind of what I would consider like a second generation Canadian because my parents came here so young, but grew up in a very like, quote unquote, westernized style of living. Hmm. And so very much like always in very white spaces and always the only child of color in these white spaces. Um, And so that was always like something that I could feel 
even though I didn't really have like the vocabulary to like express it or really understand what I was feeling, I'd play all these sports and I'd go to go to my French immersion school and just something in me knew that I was different, even though like no one was saying it. So it was always a really interesting upbringing because there were other Indian folks around me, like massive Indian communities in the suburbs mm-hmm. that I grew up in. But because of the way in which, you know, my parents put me into different sports and and a French immersion school, I wasn't actually in those spaces. So I was still kind of like those Indian and, spaces. You yeah, exactly. Very much like assimilating to like the white Canadian culture. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And so that always kind of like it definitely stuck out to me. Um, but I just didn't really have the words for it until much later in life. And yeah, you, this is so foolish. Like, I can't believe that we just went through all that conversation and have to do it again. I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> oh, podcasts are killing me. Um, you were talking earlier in our previous conversation about, um, yeah, growing up and feeling almost superior to like other Indian kids and like the element of like your friends like whitewashing you and yeah totally what like, was that like as a oh little my, girl growing up my gosh like now that i can be outside of that just and just say like there was so much internalized racism because i was raised to like assimilate into these white spaces just and not raised by my parents but like raised by the spaces around me mm-hmm. and raised by the society that i was in where like my friends would say things like you know like they t- they'd say something about indian people and then be like but not you, Indra, because you're not really Indian. Or they'd be like, Indra's like super whitewashed. And I would be like, yes, like, thank you so much. What a great compliment mm. you have bestowed on me because there is no difference between you and I. Like, I am white just like you. And it's like... I'm fitting in. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And it was just like a huge compliment. And so, yeah, I felt this weird, like, disconnect and this, like, superiority level between me and other Indian kids where I'd be like look at me I'm like white and like you're still like Indian and it just it felt like I was like more successful in the assimilation like I was like ahead in the race of assimilating and now I look back on it and I'm just in the race of assimilating (laughs) yeah wow (laughs) yeah like the verbiage there is strong (laughs) it's just it's so and and I look back on it now and I'm and I'm you know I was so disconnected from culture Mm. I, I I don't I don't really carry any like Punjabi roots with me to, to any large extent and I feel jealous of those other kids that like got to you know stay connected to culture yeah. and 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 find community through culture I just I guess I just wish I had had more of like a balance between the two spaces in which I come from yeah interesting yeah and I think like before we move on I just want to mention because I'd mentioned it earlier but not in this recording <laughs> um, that, yeah, like I really wanted to have you on because like we did a panel um, conversation the other night at a place in Squamish here downtown. Um, and you just had like some really amazing things to say about the whole element of like diversity, equity and inclusion in the outdoor spaces. And I was like, dude, I need to get some of this. I need to get some Ooh. of this on the podcast because um, yeah, like a majority of the Nerdy About Nature followers, I'm assuming just based on the people I've interacted with are about 80% white people who um, enjoy the outdoors. And I think that these are really important conversations to have to kind of like expand that and and recognize that everybody is accepted and welcome in these spaces. Totally. And even if we think about that event the other night, which was right. so amazing and so fun, I think there were like maybe two people of color in the audience. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like looking at out there and I was like, okay, 
primarily female too and a primarily female audience and it's like yeah like who is but it's it's nice to look at like who is wanting to listen to these conversations because i do think that it's like a demographic that does need to be listening and there is that like desire to listen and learn i do wish there were more men amongst that group Mm -hmm. who were willing to listen and learn but i think that that's where there's some benefit in having these conversations on your platform too yeah but men are arrogant <laughs> like straight up like i think that if you can get those women there the i mean like just assuming that they're kind of like straight normative people like they're going to interact with their male friends or partners and be able to like impart those um things on them and hopefully totally. let them grow cuz otherwise men are just like we're like especially in swamish it's like dude how fucking <laughs> how sick is that line right now dude <laughs> <laughs> oh my god the dirt is firing right now um so yeah i think it's sure it's not like the end all be all where we would hope to be but it's progress we're getting there we're getting there yeah for sure yeah change is slow and change happens one bit at a time apparently yeah so growing up in um vancouver indian family being like just assimilated into white canadian mm. culture you're playing hockey mm. you're playing what was the other game you had hoops Ring, ringette ringette yeah <laughs> hoops wow basketball <laughs> yeah i don't i don't even know ringette which is like the field hockey version of hockey on ice i'm it's assuming like, it's like its own full thing yeah it's, it's like hockey but no blade on the stick yeah. and, and a ring right it's it's faster than hockey it's great faster than hockey. it's faster than hockey it sounds mildly entertaining it's I'd say so. I'm not much of a organized sports guy, but I could, I could sit through a game and small talk with somebody while half paying attention to that. Yeah, eating a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Like. yeah, veggie dog. Veggie dog. Yeah, yeah there we go. Um, yeah. So what what was it like, kind of growing up in that, in those environments? Like, it was. Um, I mean, it was awesome growing up. Like, my parents gave me everything that they wished that they had growing up. You know, like we did all the organized sports. We did French immersion schooling. We went to Disneyland. Like we did all of those like things that, that I think that they wanted, which I think is in essence what the American dream kind of is, you know, like, especially for immigrants, it's like coming to Canada and creating a better life Mm -hmm. and making it big and giving your kids everything that you had wished you had, even like the Barbie dolls and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. So a better life from like a consumerist perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Marketing of it all. It's the biggest there's so I have so much to say about the American dream. But I mean, um, we could you want me to bookmark that? <laughs> I'm gonna write a little note here. We'll okay. Come back to that at the end. Yeah, we can Indus we... thoughts on the American dream. <laughs> Stay tuned. It's a lie. <laughs> it's gonna be dramatic. I can yeah. feel it. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, like it was it was an awesome, awesome upbringing. But I think it came with so many just like so much like internalized shit that I didn't realize until later in life, like that internalized racism that Mm -hmm. I was talking about. Like I just, there, there was so much that I was going through that I just never had like the words to express about it. Like, yeah, being the only Indian kid in all of these spaces, like having your food get made fun of, not walking, wanting my grandmother to walk me to school, which I'm like Mm. so embarrassed about because like she'd be wearing Indian dress. I remember once like going to like an Indian party and then my parents wanting to quickly like make like make a stop and go to an errand, like run an errand afterwards, like go to Home Depot after like an Indian wedding. And I was so embarrassed to be like walking around in like Surrey in like my Indian attire, which is beautiful regalia, but I was embarrassed. And so there was just so much like, I, I felt like I had like one foot 
in each culture, but like yeah. I really didn't want my foot in like the Indian culture at all. And then I went to university. I went to UBC and did a degree in sociology. And I think I would have been like 21 when I started doing sociology classes. And that's kind of when I was given this like massive toolbox of language that like finally made me really understand everything I'd been feeling all those 21 years prior where it was just like, oh, like this is what double consciousness is. It's like when you hold these multiple identities and you never actually really feel like you belong in one of the boxes. Mm -hmm. So it's like I held this these identities of being Indian and being Canadian, but I was never Canadian enough to be fully Canadian because I'm not white. So mm -hmm. people would always be like, mm, where are you really from? And I'd be like, I was literally born in Richmond General Hospital. Like, I don't really know what your question is here. And then in the same breath, not Indian enough to fit in with the Indian kids because we had different like family experiences growing up. We had different connections to language, different connections to culture. So it's just kind of like having these identities and not really feeling like you belong into either party. And then like, yeah, again, just like so much language um, from my sociology degree that made me be like, oh, my goodness, this is this is what I've experienced growing up. It really helped me define what my relationship to like snow sports was. Um, and then it, I feel like I'm very much like an educator by nature. Like I really love teaching people and I really love having conversations that meet people where they're at. And so once I was given this all this language from sociology, I was like. I can use this to like relate to other people. I can use this to help other people put words to their own experiences. And I can also use it to explain my experiences to my peers that have never been able to understand kind of what I've been going through before. So I think that was like a massive turning point for me. It was just like that degree in mm -hmm. sociology was like huge to get me to like where I am today. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I can just imagine it giving you such a deeper understanding of all those like emotions that as young angsty teens do just like bottle up and don't ever talk about totally um so you mentioned like not being indian enough to like get along with like mm -hmm. the indian community down mm -hmm. around richmond did you like did you have much indian influence growing up like from your you had your grandma yeah i had my grandma um i had i had two grandmas um for most of my upbringing um one was very connected to culture and still is and, and the other one was like connected but but not really mm -hmm. um i have one grandmother who's still alive who like prays every single day like does her prayer morning and night like very religious um and i think she's been like my biggest influence on culture both of my grandmothers like cooked indian food and so that was like a large part of my life growing up as well but i didn't like indian food until like maybe my like late teens was that like a subconscious thing like you didn't want to like it because yeah i yeah. think so i think so and it was one of those things where like because it's delicious it's so good <laughs> yeah. and i'm so angry that i was like averse to it for so long but like i think something that a lot of kids of color experience um is what's called the lunchbox moment in right. in elementary school mm -hmm. where like you bring something of your culture to school and then all the kids are telling you that it's like smelly and weird and gross yeah. and then all of a sudden you're just like I hate my culture like my friends are making fun of me and like I'm different than everybody and so like it just really put off this like entire connection mm -hmm. to the food and then you grow up 
and everybody wants to eat Indian food. And I'm like, really? Like, now? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm all about that Bangan Barta. Uh, it's, so, it's all so good. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I like I didn't have a ton of um Indian influence growing up. And I think it's something that I'm like really seeking out these days. So and and you have like resources to get into that? Like you said, you have your still your grandma. I have my grandma. That's kind of about it. Yeah. Um, no other family ties or anything like we're it's such it's we're all here like did, did all your parents immigrate like with their brothers and sisters and stuff and and, and nobody's kind nobody's, of embraced that nobody everybody's here um my but mom nobody's has, embraced any of that indian culture like they've all just yeah we've all yeah no we've all just like it was like a group journey to like hmm. assimilate um i have two older cousins on my mom's side who both had very traditional indian weddings and then one of my cousins is also having a traditional indian wedding this year which i'm super excited about yeah it's gonna be massive it's those like a full six like, days yeah like, those sound like the most fun things in the entire world it's gonna be incredible and and i'm, I'm really excited because it's giving all of us like an opportunity to connect with culture and i was really young when the other two weddings happened so like i didn't understand all of like the meanings behind the right. different the different pieces of the wedding um i didn't understand the meaning behind each event so i'm really excited to like get more in the conversation with my aunt while she's planning my cousins this year and like actually have an understanding of like the importance of these pieces because they're so beautiful and they're so intentional and totally. like yes it's like six days of partying but it's intentional it's a full six days i didn't <laughs> yes. even realize it was that long i yeah like I thought my... it was like a weekend you know no that's amazing it will be incredible. I know because like from an outside perspective, like all I ever hear about it is, yeah, stuff from from pop culture and stuff. Yeah. The new girl wedding. Yeah. It gets crashed. Like, yeah. And yeah, I would love to experience something like that. It sounds. Well, I mean, like everybody invites um, everyone and their mom to their wedding. So if I do a, a wedding, you can come to mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would be stoked Great. to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the air now. So, oh, yeah. man. Yeah, we've got it. It's recorded <laughs> twice now. We have a camera and yeah. audio actually recording. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So that's kind of those are kind of like the the they're very like loose cultural ties. But yeah. Yeah. You and I were talking about this the other day. It's kind of like I think that I'm in a position that a lot of um children of immigrants quote unquote find themselves in after you know this when you're kind of in that like second gen mentality of immigration um you know my parents worked really hard to create a life for us that was very westernized so that we fit into this culture but yeah. that meant erasing connection to culture um and being very intentional about how they raised us so that we fit in um and not necessarily belonged, which they're two different things. Um, yeah, very. Mm -hmm. I haven't really thought about that before, but that is very true. Yeah. So, yeah, they raised us to fit in and uh, it kind of led to this disconnect with culture. So I think myself and a lot of other folks who are kind of in a similar space find themselves in the position to reconnect and like pick up those pieces that were kind of left behind and 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 re-invite almost that relationship to culture because it's like, okay, I fit in to Western society, but I actually don't, you know, feel like I belong to my roots anymore. And so yeah. now I want to go back and create that. Yeah. You're just kind of a lost soul amongst a little bit a Western society. Yeah. Like I fit in, <clears throat> like I, I, I understand what everyone's talking about when we're talking about sports, but I'm like, I don't understand like what people who look like me are going through yeah. or what they're talking about, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fairly common thing with a lot of mm -hmm. settler families like coming over. It's like you are 
making a move, especially in like that era that like yeah. they would have done it in. Yeah. Like I know like my mom immigrated from Denmark when she was four years old. Yeah. And it was like a two week long boat journey like to Canada. No idea, like no connection back yeah. like you. There's you're like just you going. can just like FaceTime your mom and be like, what's up? Yeah, things are good. <laughs> um, so like you're really like throwing everything out the window. Then when you get to that land, like you want to almost like start fresh you want to make it worth it like you just you know yeah you just left everything behind like Mm -hmm. this better be worth it Mm -hmm. you know we want to make a better life for our kids we got to fit right in yeah make a better life for our kids make a better life yeah which is yeah kind of the essence of everything yeah yeah we talked about that in the earliest recording (laughs) and it got really heavy really quick Maybe we can rehash that in. at the end of it. Yeah. yeah. Let's go back to that because that was, that was a little deep for the beginning of a podcast. Yeah. So you did this sociology degree. You've got mm-hmm. all these new words to describe it. When did you start skiing? Was that before or after your degree? Or So I started actually skiing. Um, I did a, I skied for like a couple of years when I was really little. So mm-hmm. really little. I was like, I want to say like eight or nine when I started skiing. And my parents' mentality around the whole thing was like, we'll give you the skills to do this. Because again, I think it was another one of those things that like my dad had wished he had done growing up. Right. And so when we started skiing, he actually also learned how to ski, which was kind of cool. Does he still ski? Um, No, he came out once with us yeah. last year and it just like wasn't for him. But yeah. I think he was happy to have like gotten that experience that he had been wanting, I think, for a lot of his life. Um, So yeah, when we, they put us into skiing, it was very much like we'll give you the tools. And then if you're older and want to come back to this as an adult, you you have the foundation to do it. And I was good at it and I really liked it, but it w- just wasn't one of those things that as a kid, like my parents could afford to upkeep. Mm-hmm. Like you're growing like a freaking weed as a child and you're always outgrowing clothes, outgrowing skis. And then lift tickets are expensive, getting to the mountain every single weekend. Like we lived in like North Delta, Surrey area. So like the mountain was like an hour and a half yeah. away. So it just like wasn't feasible. We stuck to the, we stuck to team sports. We stuck to hockey and softball, volleyball, all of those ones. But, um, I came back to skiing in my early 20s because I started working for like an outdoor retailer and those industry pro deals are the only reason that I was like able to get back into skiing because it actually made it affordable. Like all of those connections, like all of those pro deals with other ski brands. I was like, whoa, I've been wanting to do this. I went to UBC where there's like a huge ski and board culture right? and I always wanted to like take advantage of that student pass up to Whistler. I never, I, I never actually did it in, in my undergrad. I never got to it, but, um, I think in my like fourth year of university, I like got back into skiing cause I could finally afford to. And I was like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, I really love this. And it was like a tumultuous relationship I would say with skiing in the beginning, getting back into it. But I'm so grateful for like those, those deals that allowed me to get back into yeah, it. That made it, even then, like it's affordable with an asterisk because exactly. it's still expensive. Like skiing has always been a very privileged sport with with um, yeah expensive equipment, day tickets, and then like that kind of familial. Like you need to have people who kind of know what they're doing or like know that it takes. Like it's not just something that you do on like a Friday afternoon. Like no. it takes commitment to get to the mountain to get to those places. And like if you come from a family that doesn't have that kind of history of doing that, it's really difficult to break into. Yeah. Totally. Like it, I, I don't, I can't even really foresee any other way where it would have happened as a child. Cause like my family didn't have that intergenerational knowledge of knowing how intergenerational great knowledge. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great term for it. Yeah. It's just like, you know, if your grandparents skied and they like had a ski chalet, like up somewhere in like wherever 
in Colorado. And then they taught your parents how to ski and your parents have been on ski since you were two. Exactly. And then, and then you were on ski since you were two, because it's something that your grandparents did. And you have all those retro photos of like your grandfather, like skiing, like that just feels like the epitome of like white culture to me. (laughs) Totally. I mean, you are hitting the nail on the head. Like I grew up skiing at two years old. My dad and like his brothers and sisters did it. My grandpa did it. Like, I don't even, I think he may have been the one who started it, but it's like, to me and like my like little circle of family and like now that all my cousins and stuff are having kids it's like on skis by two it's like that is like the right to passage yeah but it's you know like growing up you don't think anything different to it because you don't know any different and then now as like an adult you're able to look back and like you know you meet people that are outside of your little bubble and you expand your horizons and it's like holy shit that was like such a privilege to even be able to get to do that yeah and now like oh i don't even know how families even the wealthiest of families can afford to do it now. Like when a day ticket at Whistler is like 250 bucks or something like that. Exactly. There's no amount of skiing on the world. That, That's like, worth that. Right. No. And it's just like, and, and like you're saying, like, yeah, when you're a kid and like, this is just how it's done. Like everybody starts at two. That's also the bubble that you're being raised in. Like totally. you're like meeting kids and going to ski school with kids who are also in this like same bubble of experience. And so to no fault to you, that's what normal is. Like right. normal is skiing at that age and you don't know anything different. And then what that kind of creates in turn is like, I feel like a lot of people who grow up in these like similar upbringings, like end up making similar decisions down the line. And then you end up maintaining these like circles right. that are all just like right. homogenous. And we all keep existing in these like interesting homogenous spaces. Like I feel like always like with my suburb growing up, like if you didn't leave the suburb, like you stay in it. Like anybody mm-hmm. who didn't really leave after high school just like stays in it and they stay mm-hmm. with like the same cir- circle of people that we went to high school with. And that's OK. Like for some people, that's that's awesome. And it's working out really well for them. They probably save a hell of a lot more money than I do. And I'm really jealous about yeah. that. But like for me, I had to like go through that process of like breaking into these spaces, right. this like uncomfortable, scary, like sometimes like hurtful process yeah, I can imagine. of breaking in. Well, I mean, it's like like in any in any kind of circle of life that people get into or or are born into i guess it's like it's really easy to just kind of stay in the track and Mm -hmm. not think differently and like this kind of concept can be expanded out to like all sorts of big systemic things like racism but down to like skiing it's like if that's like the family kind of unit that you were raised in and that's just what you always know it's way easier to just continue to go along with that rather than like take the time and have the difficult conversations with yourself to like ask other questions and go experience something else, go find something else. So, yeah. And it's just like, and it's, and it's gotta be terrifying coming from a position of as like Mm -hmm. somebody who has had to assimilate her whole life to like fit in with like what is quote unquote normal. Um, like that takes a lot of courage to like be able to be like, no, I want to do this thing that like people like me traditionally have never done yeah and it just like it feels like a lot of like fighting for your right to like exist somewhere and even if it's like people don't it doesn't feel like people are like taking that away from you it's like it's just so often defending yourself and defending the way in which you move through life like I remember having to have this like really difficult conversation with somebody once where they had made a comment that was so just rooted in in privilege and it like really hurt me and I didn't know Hmm. why that one comment it was so in passing and I don't even think they'd remembered making it. Um, but it had really hurt me and I had brought it up with them a couple of weeks later. And I was like, Hey, when you said this to me, like I, it didn't feel good. And like, it kind of feels like it's rooted in this like privilege. That's to no fault of your own at all. But like, 
it's it's very much was rooted in like their own experiences mm-hmm. and like very privileged experiences. And, you know, they their their parents had immigrated from Scotland and, you know, their response to me was like, well, my grandfather, like, you know, had to work really hard so that I can get all the experiences that like I got and so that my parents could get all of the experiences that that they yeah. had. And I was like, and I'm not saying that that's not true. And I was like, but like, we also have to think about the fact that my grandparents also had to work really hard. Like my grandparents immigrated you where you are. Yeah, exactly. And like both of my grandmothers were widowed really shortly after immigrating with their husbands mm. to Canada. Um, my mom's mom was left to raise six daughters. My dad's mom was left to raise four sons and one daughter. Wow. And they didn't speak the language and they worked in farms and factories. Yeah. They didn't have the tools to go and be able to like work in oil rigs or something like that. Right. You know what I mean? And that's even like going back to like your <clears throat> friend from Scotland yeah. whose grandpa had to work really hard. It's like, sure, but he was still working in like a majority of, a majority of white people, exactly. um, you know, society that was like colonizing, like actively colonizing yeah. these parts of the world. Like you had the upper hand, like for your family, it was a completely different situation. Exactly. Like your grand, like, yes, your grandfather worked really hard. They still they they looked the part though. They totally. looked and they sounded the part and they didn't have these extra barriers that are out of their control mm-hmm. that were stopping them. And that's what privilege is, right? Like nobody's right. saying that you didn't work hard. People are just saying that you didn't have to like it, it wasn't because of the color of your skin or the language that you spoke. Right. That those weren't barriers to you. Yeah. Would you wanna share the comment that your friend made? Yeah. Um they just, you know, they had just called me like because it had come up in a conversation of like I hadn't, I hadn't gotten back into skiing yet. I was like really wanting to get back into skiing and I, and, and I, and it came up that I didn't know how to like wake surf or something. And (laughs) and they called me like the least Vancouver, Vancouver girl they had ever met. Wake surfing. So Kelowna. Yeah. (laughs) Let's be real about that. Yeah. (laughs) So it was just like this comment that was like, Ooh, you don't like ski super hard. Ooh, like you like kind you kind of hike, but like like it was basically like you don't base your personality around the outdoors and like these like super privileged sports. You're the least Vancouver Vancouver girl I've ever met. And hmm. I was like, uh. "Interesting." And it came from somebody who was from Alberta. Like I was just like, "Wait. <laughs> what yeah. are you saying to me?" <laughs> That's interesting. Cuz we were talking the other night too. Like that that quote there definitely feels a little bit more um that's just like a mean thing to say. Yeah, it's just like right? a microaggression for sure where you're just like Yeah. Well, you that? were mentioning one the other night that like um you had a friend who when you were skiing, like a white a white friend was like, "Wow, you're actually pretty good at this." It's the same person. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Buddy over here's got some work to do. Yeah, I friend is a loose term. <laughs> <laughs> An acquaintance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think that there's a lot of um I guess they're probably not the best example to use here, but I think just within within a lot of um, white culture, within these sports that have been so normalized by white culture, when you see somebody out there doing things who doesn't look like the norm, mm-hmm. you have a lot of those like those prejudice. Like they're harmless. Like I don't think mm-hmm. like nobody's like really like you know. Yeah, it's not like they're going to be going out and doing something really negative with that or using no. that to like really alienate somebody but it's just like this like thing that you don't even think about it's this subconscious like oh wow they're actually pretty good yeah as if like i never expected to see a brown person be decent at skiing yeah exactly exactly i've never seen it before it was just like this like total unconscious bias of like you know like they'd already 
because of how I look, because of who I am, they'd made up this idea of how I can ski. It's a super human. It's it's very human to look right. at somebody and be like, I feel like I can like look at you based off what you're wearing and, and give you like a full story. Oh, totally. And it's fully re- rooted in unconscious biases and like stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, like people just don't realize like how those like comments like one at a time really like chip away at you. And it's just like this weird like with that person in particular, it always just kind of felt like a weird like superiority thing where it was like you're kind of a part of this space, but like you're still an outsider. Yeah. You know, and it always just made me feel that way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Never felt totally like embraced in the space. And and I'm sure they've done a lot of I'd I'd hope that they would have done a lot of learning since they've Mm -hmm. said these things. Um, But yeah, it's, it's 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 tough sometimes. Today's unpaid advertisement spot for folks doing good things in the world goes to The Den, sustainable goods and refill shopping to Clulet, BC that carries all sorts of great things crafted and sourced from Vancouver Island as well as BC and beyond. Everything from locally made ceramic mugs and takeaway cups to plastic-free reusable food storage and super cozy wool socks. A personal favorite of mine is this really cool wooden scrub brush thing and a brick of solid non-toxic dish soap that makes cleaning up after a meal super easy. They offer refills on all sorts of non-toxic and organic soaps and household goods, and they ship anywhere with an address. It's a progressive business model changing the way we live our daily lives, women-owned, and definitely something you should check out if you're ever in Uclulet or online at thedenuclulet.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-N-U-C-L-U-E-L-E-T.com. These unpaid ads are brought to you by you, my beloved Patreon supporters who make it possible for me to not only create this podcast and nature videos, but so that I can share stories of great people doing great things in the world instead of selling out ad spots to the man. You can become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash nerdyaboutnature or get more info at nerdyaboutnature.com. And now, back to the pod chat. So then using using that knowledge that you got from like your sociology degree... Mm. Um, and then getting into skiing, kind of getting into the outdoor industry, mm. um, which is something that like everybody deserves to have the right to access mm-hmm. to. Like it's, yeah. Like mm-hmm. tell me like what kind of work do you do now that you've like mm. built these skills? Cause you do a lot of public speaking. You do a lot of like activism stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think like a lot of my work is centered around like advocacy and representation. Um, cause I'm a super firm believer in the fact that if you don't see yourself represented somewhere, there's no way that you're going to right. feel comfortable to like exist authentically in these spaces. And for me, a lot of that experience was boiled down to, to my relationship with skiing, where I always felt like I was holding so many identities and it was stopping me from showing up confidently. And, and it was stopping me from just wanting to like rock up and be able to ski. Like when I first got back into skiing and even now sometimes less now I would say like when I first got back into it up until like last year I'd always get to the ski hill and feel like I was representing Indian people and I was representing women and I was representing Indian women instead of just being able to be you instead of just being Indra and it just kind of felt like I had to be good and I had to go really hard because if somebody saw me I was I was existing And this is just how I felt, but it just felt like I was like representing an entire community that people don't see as often Mm -hmm. on this ski hill. There's definitely other South Asians on the ski hill, but like relative to white folks, it is so few and far between. Totally. And so whenever I see other South Asian people on the hill, like we always smile at each other. It's like we're speaking like a language. Like it's like, fuck yeah. What's up? Yeah. Nice to see you here too. Yeah. And it's just, it's the dopest thing. Like I really love when I see like other, like like Indian folks with like their children. Yeah. And and I like that I get to see their children and like smile and wave at their children because I just like hope that their child might remember me and like feel like that slightest bit Mm. more 
like like they deserve to be there when they start to formulate maybe those same Mm -hmm. thoughts that I had growing up. Um, So I do a lot of work around creating opportunities and spaces for other BIPOC women and gender expansive folks. Um, And I do a lot of it around backcountry, like avalanche safety course trainings and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, Because for me, like especially within those safety training courses, we fail to talk about the fact that psychological safety is so important. Hmm. Like you have to feel psychologically sound to be able to make physically safe decisions and to feel as though like your voice matters. And so, you know, within the group, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like within the group showing up that day, skiing with anybody, like you want to make sure that like you feel psychologically safe so that you can go. I feel like that's like a baseline mm-hmm. for me. Um, and so it's so amazing to like have these spaces that are just folks of color because you don't have to defend your reason for being there. Like you all just have this like common understanding of like what got you to this moment and this just like unspoken gratitude that you get to be there. And then you can like bring up a hard topic that you would never bring up with your white friends and everyone on the chair is like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Just talk shit. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Yeah. White people and their peanut butter jelly sandwiches. Am I right? It's absolutely an outlet. Yeah. 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 I mean, like I can just like having grown up and being like even a white person in situations where I like go into the backcountry, go in with like a group um, that's like maybe more advanced than me and Mm -hmm. feeling like inadequate, that like not psychologically safe. And that's just on like the skills level factor. And like even today, you know, like I will ride every once in a while with like people who are like fairly like green at it and not have like the experience that I do. And I sense that from them. And I always like try to like, you know, it's okay. Like nothing's fucked here. We're going to like work this and get this together. But that's just on the skills level side. Like yeah. I can't imagine having that, like the other layers of like feeling like you need to be representing Indian people or Indian women or women in general. Like I think yeah. women in general in the outdoors is a, is a huge thing that has like really um, expanded over the past yeah. I want to say decade, but I mean, maybe even really in the last like four or five years, mm-hmm. which is amazing. But like, there's still that huge gap between yeah. everybody else in the world. Fully. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really tough. And, and it all kind of, you know, it, it all kind of came to be with it, with inclusivity because I was really. Right. Tell me about inclusivity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that was a question I was going to get there, but. Perfect. No, perfect. Nice segue. transition. Yeah. There we go. See, we're good at this. Yeah. Round two. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's kind of the space in which a lot of these trainings run and Mm -hmm. it kind of just came together really serendipitously, um, because I, in, I want to say like October or November of 2020 had applied for uh, a mentorship program for backcountry skiing and I didn't have my avalanche safety course training yet and I really wanted it, but it was so expensive and I, but I knew I was going to get to it. Like I was like, I know in January I'm going to get it. I just need to save my pennies so that I can like afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I applied for the course and I didn't get into the course because I didn't have the training yet. And I was like, man, like this is there, there are, there are some barriers like this avalanche safety training course in the, to getting into this program that are disproportionately affecting mm-hmm. marginalized folks. One of those barriers being like the psychological safety from an avalanche safety training course. Like not only did I not really have the money to do it, but I was also like so scared of of taking this course with like 
five white dudes and two white women, you know, like Mm -hmm. I was just like anticipating what the space would feel like and had so much stress about even like applying or like or like registering for a course. And so I had texted the president of of this mentorship program and asked if she knew of any like scholarships that 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 helped BIPOC folks get these kinds of certifications or trainings. And she was like, no, I actually don't know of anything like that. And this is 2020. And this is 2020. Yeah. Um. So post murder of George Floyd, like yeah. everyone is making big promises in every single industry. And I was like, yeah, everybody's oh. trying to tick those boxes. Exactly. And I was like, okay, no training like that exists. Like, I guess I'm just going to create this program on my own. Yeah. And so I, told my idea to one of my friends who is super well connected in the sea to sky. And, and she is just like the master connector of all people. Mm. And she was like, I love this idea. And I think that you need to do it. And I can get on a call with Burton today mm-hmm. and pitch your idea to them. And within like 12 hours, it went from like an idea that I had had like before my morning coffee at 7am to like something that was like fully being mobilized was we were going to get Amazing. seven people certified and have you had quite a bit of support from brands and stuff trying to like support those movements so burton burton was amazing for our first one and then i've actually been super successful in working with arteryx for the rest of um for this year this season this past season we've done five programs yeah and arteryx has been really phenomenal at um helping support it covering costs yeah. and then we also work with evo who does all of our gear rentals oh yeah us. we talked about this they're last the night. best Evo, yeah great folks there they're really they're on it yeah and so it's really awesome and especially in this department too yes. the diversity equity inclusion part like they're so dialed yeah and 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 i appreciate what i appreciate from evo a lot of the time is it's like it's kind of like a no questions asked we trust that you are like the subject matter expert in this we trust that you're going to make the best decisions like we're white people on the other end of this, you go and do it. Mm-hmm. What's best for your community, Indra? Right. Like we're here for you. And so that's been really cool. And so it's been, it's been like this year. So yeah, it kind of started with an avalanche safety training course last year and has grown into, we've offered two avalanche safety training courses this year. We've done an intro to backcountry. We've done a backcountry booster course. And then we took a bunch of women up to the Keys and Claire's hut for International Women's Day. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Did you camp up there? Yeah, we stayed in the hut for a night. So sick. It was so great. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And that's really cool to hear that there are brands that are like empowering you to be doing that too. Because I know especially after like the whole BLM like protests and everything, like people were frantically trying to tick boxes and changing the imagery on their websites and like just trying to like portray this like you know, diverse, inclusive usage of whatever brand or product it may be. But like how much of that is actually being integrated from like a corporate perspective or like how much are they actually doing besides just like kind of ticking the greenwashing boxes, you know? Exactly. Like we're almost two years out of, of the murder of George Floyd and, Mm. and who's actually like stuck around and made change. And what I think we'll find is like the people who have been making like the slower, quieter change over the last two years are the ones who are actually committed to it. Like there were a bunch of companies who like hopped on, posted the black tile. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then like to never be heard of again, you know? And, and it's just kind of like everything that moves through social media these days. It kind of feels like everybody is like momentarily like, yeah, it hops on the trend until something bigger comes up and then they're like, Oh my God, Ukraine. Got to move to the next one. Yeah. And it's like, 
we can carry all of these pat like we don't have to like move from one passion bin right. to the next you know like we can sp- it's exhausting for sure but we can like spread our passion amongst different places yeah. as well <laughs> well and i think this is a really um this is a concept like i loosely talked about it with maya during the first podcast <clears throat> and like it's really funny just having listened to that again like i was just like had no idea what i'm doing and trying to form complex thoughts about <laughs> things and just rambling but um we were talking about oh and now i just like now the thought just escaped me no come back oh god oh god <laughs> oh yeah that's it it came back again yeah. <laughs> thank god uh that would have been really embarrassing so um Like, I think this is like really epitomized in a lot of Western culture, but especially in like the brand kind of business sense is where a lot of the decisions that we make as individuals and then on, you know, in the corporate ladders and these, these um, organizations that are all kind of running and have place within our societies. It's very reactionary where we're like, oh shit, something happened. Like we need to hop on this so that we can appear to be best. Oh, oh, something else happened. Like pivot and like, oh, address this. Oh, make a social media post. Do we have that ready to go? Quick, get it out. Oh, black, post the black tile. Yeah. Like it's just everybody's like frantically trying to keep up with the social norms instead of like, whew, yeah, like taking time to like breathe and assess the situation. This is what, what Maya was saying is just that like the Squamish way of life is like thinking before you speak and, and, mm-hmm. and thinking concisely and slowly. And um, there's just so much of that like indigenous wisdom, if you want to call it that, but just mm-hmm. like that way of being that is lost in this fast paced society that we live in where we're, everybody's yeah. trying to chase like the next trending thing to get like the dollar or to seem like that they're, you know, socially like yeah. on top of things and that they're kind of keeping up with the trends. Yeah. And it's a shame because if we as a society took the time to like slow down and think and really like examine the systems in which we live and like work to implement that change, like, yeah, it would be like a much slower progressive change like you're talking about, like Mm -hmm. people working for that over the past two years. But like that is what's going to lead to the truly constructive and like radical change that we need. Yeah, exactly. Like being thoughtful and intentional instead of this, like, I feel like instant gratification, like just plagues our western society in so many different ways yeah and it's kind of the same way in which you're talking about like that instant like we have to be on it right now so that we can gratify our consumers like i need to make this post about ukraine so that people know where we stand right even though there's like no action tied to it like it's just it's just empty words and i have this conversation with the company that i work for right now where it's like okay really awesome that you know you know, we've talked we've talked about land acknowledgements with the company because mm. um, I think they're really important. And I think that, like, I have them in my email signature. Sure. Like, I do them when I get into a meeting. However, on a company scale, I said, if we want to be doing land acknowledgements before every meeting and we want a plaque in all of our stores with whose land we're on, what are we doing to give back to that community? Like, before we yeah. before we start telling the world that we who's like the land that we're on. Are we are we defending like land defenders? Are yeah. like are, are we willing to give land back? Right. Like 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 what what's our stance here? Because if we're just saying like I know that I'm on this stolen land and that's all that I'm going to do about it, I'm just going to say it. Like it's so performative. The words are empty. Right. They hold no meaning. Exactly. And so I. It's the low hanging fruit. It's the easiest thing to do. It's like it's the you, box. You copy and paste it. Like a lot of people probably don't even know how to spell out like Squamish in like phonetic language. You know. Totally. Like, totally. Yeah. And it's all baby steps and like and and I appreciate that like desire as a larger company to be like, we want to talk about the land mm-hmm. we're on. And it's like 
but you don't want to talk about it. Like you just want to say whose land you're on yeah. and then like move forward as if, you know, like it again, it's just like the box. And like I've been I've been challenging them and, and we're taking our time with it because I want to have that conversation of like, what are we doing with the communities that we're, we're saying we're on their land? Yeah. How are we actually giving back to them? Like, what are we doing to support them? What are we doing to support land back for them? Because yeah. if we're not, then unfortunately, I don't think that we can. Shouldn't be saying it. Exactly. Yeah. Which sucks. It does. Yeah. And, but I, again, I think like the, the kind of way that you're going about it is like taking that slow calculated mm-hmm. approach and like having these conversations with people because so much of it is just like general white person discomfort, right? Like they don't yeah. want to have these conversations because it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's like, oh, like, I don't know what to say. Oh, land back. You're going to take my home. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like just, it's about respecting and honoring the land that you're on, like whose land that belongs to. And like, yeah, helping support those communities, give them voice, give them power, like standing for their sovereignty when there's issues, when there's like pipelines coming through. Yeah. You're like, you'll post a black square, but you won't say anything about like exactly. the Wet'suwet'en situation when like RCMP are like mobilizing on like land defense. It's like, it's insane. Yeah. And people are just like, oh, that's too political. I don't want to talk about that. And it's like, but you posted a black square, right. which like in effect is all about ACAB. Like, exactly. <laughs> so like, why is that not extending right. <laughs> to all yeah. issues? <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because it's like, doing the land acknowledgements and when i say funny i'm not like haha no. great joke it's like dark comedy kind of funny <laughs> um it, it's when they, they you know that we'll post like a land acknowledgement somewhere and like just say that but then it's like okay we did that check that box now we're going to yeah. go on with business as usual and now hopefully we've like opened our product market up to a slightly more woke audience instead of actually doing the work that it takes to like build and and, and work for that progressive change yeah nail on the head yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's about it dark comedy dark comedy it's a it's a weird world <laughs> have you have you had any experiences um as a brown person like being like people trying to like use your image or something for those kind of mm. brownwash we call it because it's not greenwashing is it brownwash yeah, is, it, is it like is it i mean I are think we it's just like a new term right now <laughs> brownwashing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um you know what it's it's a it's really interesting because i also like i just do like a bunch of free ma- freelance modeling gigs right um it it often works out really nicely because I have a lot of friends who are photographers and they need talent and I, and I get casted yeah, you guys for those have your things. whole little crew yeah there's <laughs> something going on <laughs> um and it's great like I get to work with my best friends and we are all super comfortable together and we put out really great product um but it's it's such a fine balance I find because yeah my modeling career really took off uh after June 2020 because hmm. people realized that advertisements need to be more representative and they need to look different and it's really it's like it's kind of like two things can be true like it can be really true that like we do need to diversify media and i'm really grateful that there are other there are now little indian girls who like go onto the mec website and they like see me on a banner hiking a mountain because i never got that imagery as a kid and so i never really realized that i could do that kind of thing you never Um, saw it as being something that was feasible for you yeah like there was nobody who looked like me telling me I could do it. Right. So you just don't really, your your mind doesn't really go there. You, your imagination can't even picture it. Yeah. So I'm really grateful for the opportunities. And, and that's kind of why I, I do model. Like I, it really started for me being like, I want to show other girls who look like me or kids that look like me that they're allowed to do these things and be in these spaces. And if it's like more like fashion-based modeling, I want to show them that they're beautiful because literally all of westernized like media is not telling them that they are. I know. And so it's like if you can see me on an ad for something and 
like that, like I, I just, it's more so for like the younger kids than anything else. And then in the same breath, like, you know, we've, we've talked about this and, and, and I don't know where the balance is because like I've been on a set where it's like all the talent are people of color, right? but everybody on set and everybody who like casted us is white. Mm-hmm. So like the casting director is white, the producer, all the photographers, all the videographers, everybody else is white. And so it's like, then it kind of feels like we were just chosen because we're folks of color and they were like, we just need to be diverse. And then they just like grabbed all the colored mm-hmm. folks they could find in the sea to sky that are models. And we're like, you guys, <laughs> we're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so it's like, it's a super interesting balance where like me and my friends were talking about this. We're like, ah, shoot, like, it's great that we all get to like be here and be on set together. And we're like, it, it's dope. It's dope that this one brand mm-hmm. wants to show like all of these people of color but then sometimes it can feel like icky being on the receiving end of it where it's like, then it kind of just feels like you only casted me yeah. because of this. And like, I've even been told by so many people like with no malice attached to it, but then being like, yeah, no, you would do great at modeling right now. Like this is your time mm-hmm. right now. And it's like, Oh, right now, right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like get it while it's hot. It's ex- trending. Ex- Hop you, on like, the bandwagon. You're trending right now. Yeah. People yeah. want you. So just do it like while you can yeah. is how it always feels. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> well, I mean, and there's always kind of been that, like, at least in my generation growing up, and I'm going to age myself here really quick. <laughs> Did you have Captain Planet growing up? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, Captain Planet. Oh, now I have to describe the whole premise of Captain Planet, which is just even more ridiculous. It's like these five kids who have rings, and each ring is like a power of like an element, like earth, wind, water, fire, and heart. Sick. Oh, right, yeah, and like, and like this is just like a, a very common thing in like all these old cartoons that we grew up with, where it's like you have this group of kids, and there's like a white redheaded kid, there's a black kid, there's a a brown, or no, there was a. I'm trying to think of the cast of Captain Planet now. There was a little Asian girl. There was a white blonde girl. And then there was um, like a brown Indian boy. That's sick. So, yeah, it's like that. But again, it's all like face value because it's like that was in the 90s when that was coming out. So it's like, cool. Like my whole generation. Yeah. Again, aging myself. We grew up on that. But like, look at all the problems that are still persistent within that. Like, yeah, you're about a decade younger than me. So like (laughs) you guys are like your generation is like really like kind of diving into the work that has i think like the seeds were planted in our generation totally um and again it goes back to like where do you see yourself or see people who look like you Mm -hmm. doing those careers and in the film industry especially outdoor sports and just outdoor industry in general um you know like i i do a lot of film work and like i'm a white guy and i got into it through skiing somehow um and I feel like it's one of those things that's that's changing, but it's it's a much more specialized industry that's going to take yeah. more time to get that next generation of youth into it to see it, you know? Yeah. And like, I mean, yeah, like if we think about like skiing, ski, ski films, of course, they're going to be predominantly white when we're looking at those like super shreddy right. ski movies, those ski cuts, like. Because again, it comes back to like who's had access to it for some for a long time. Exactly. So it is going to take a while for it to like become equitable. And it's like maybe in the interim, we figure out like new narratives that also include BIPOC so that we can like not focus on this like super sendy edit all the time. Because for a while, that's still going to grab one type of person. Right. Why don't we shift the narrative of what we're looking for so that it's more inclusive Mm -hmm. of experiences that everybody has, which I think has been more prevalent um 
in in ski movies as of late like the vimp mm-hmm. has like a full color oh, yeah. the trails totally network of of movies which is the sickest thing it is yeah so that's a really great direction that it's going in it is and it's funny when you when you talk about that like because even the um that mentality of like the classic kind of like shred flick led by white males like yeah. going out exploring the idea of exploring is so so colonial oh my god i know it's like oh we went and explored this mountain that nobody's ever been to it's like whose fucking land is that on yeah bud? and then and then going out they're like oh we dominated that mountain we like climbed it the conditions were perfect and we ripped it it's like so there's so much like like just the conquering arrogant mentality right right it's very kind of like um, goes back to like 16th century, like new world explorers, like finding, discovering these new yeah. lands. It's like, you didn't discover shit. Exactly. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. And and it's funny because that has for so long been the narrative of all these um, outdoor sports movies. Yeah. And so for that to change is great. But like, yeah, it, it'll take a while for like the next generation of youth who are like, you know, kids mm-hmm. now to get to that point when they're like the stars of it. But there is still so much more work to be done. Totally. And sharing that information and that like yeah kind of breaking down and dissecting that narrative and showing like if anything just like showing the toxicity of it to yeah. the current like younger generation so that when they grow up they are like well aware totally of how it all how it works how yeah. we got into this crazy situation yes <laughs> yeah to say the least yes <laughs> yeah funny captain planet it's funny captain planet so i, I guess i didn't fully ex- finish explaining captain no, planet i'm just picturing power rangers and i know that it's not kind it of. but well so they all have the rings and the rings can control the elements or like different things but with their powers combined they like put their rings together and this beam of light comes out it creates captain planet and captain <laughs> planet is this like you know classic superhero type dude in like a blue and white earth like outfit um and he's, you know, he comes and he defeats bad guys. He stops pollution. Um, you know, he's like taking out oil rigs and stuff. It's great. Sounds like we need him. Yeah, I know. I miss <laughs> Captain Planet. It was like Avatar before Avatar. Yeah. Kind of mixed with like, yeah, I guess Power Rangers. It was great. There's a did, lot happening. Did you ever see Ferngully? Ferngully is another classic. No. <laughs> Man. But like maybe it's an American Canadian thing. Maybe. Or it's, we're a decade apart in age. <laughs> I think that's just, it's just good content. I think... <laughs> Everybody's like, you know, throwing it back to like 60s and 70s vibes right now, like all the mm. boho stuff. Yeah. Like, man, bring back the 80s environmental cartoons. Like <laughs> those things were fire. In fact, I think one of the one of the arch nemesises of Planet or Captain Planet. I can't remember his name. He was like some ginger guy with a mohawk. It was like <laughs> loosely based on Donald Trump. It was supposed Whoa. to be, there were supposed to be multiple different characters and one was going to be like a rich billionaire, Donald Trump. And then they ended up merging them both into one character, oh, but that's where the orange hair comes from. Oh my goodness. Yeah. A little fun fact for there a show you that you've never even heard about prior <laughs> yeah. to this conversation. <laughs> I'm going to go look it up when I go home. You will love yeah. it. I'm sure it's all on YouTube. <laughs> Coming at you with the second unpaid ad spot for folks doing good in the world, this time for the Indigenous Life Sport Academy, also known as ILSA. Some good friends of mine, ILSA is a nonprofit based in Whistler that works to get youth from various Indigenous nations all across Canada access to outdoor sports and recreation as a means of building strength and community. Sports like snowboarding, skiing, mountain biking, climbing, hiking, etc. Sports that typically have a pretty high barrier to entry with the cost of gear and access. So ILSA works to get these kids not only the gear, but access to the mountains in the areas where they learn all sorts of life skills, gain independence, make friends, and do it all on their traditional and ancestral lands. It truly is magical work that creates a great future. You can check out what they do at lifesportcanada.org. 
And now, back to the pod chat. This is just uh, a question that I have written down here that I'm going to just throw at you. Okay. Fine. Do you consider recreation an extractive resource? Um, definitely. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, and I think, and I think especially in the context in which a lot of us are engaging hmm. with recreation, um, and myself included, um, I can be so much better. Like I think that the relationship that folks have with sport is very one-sided. Like it's, it feels oftentimes very much like what you can get out of from the land mm-hmm. kind of like what we we're talking about with like that whole like conquering narrative right. like having this list of objectives and wanting to like conquer each of them wanting to explore this like untouched quote-unquote territory the wild quote-unquote the wild yeah. like everything is wild yeah everything in this world is wild and like you've said everything is nature like this narrative around like yeah, wanting to be the first or like wanting to shred super hard. It just kind of feels like it's a very like I am taking from the land. Mm-hmm. And and I think where we lack that relate that like reciprocity is we don't really often have conversations about what we can be doing to give back to the land. Mm-hmm. Like what small actions we can be doing to give back to indigenous communities who have occupied this t- this land since like time right. out of mind. Um or how we can make efforts to be less like extractive, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, because both you and I, despite our differences in looks and backgrounds and upbringings, like we're both settlers on this land. And at the end of the day, like it's, it was never our land. And no matter what we try to do to strive to be naturalized to these environments, like, you know, have you, you've spent a lot of time with Maya in the outdoors. Have Mm -hmm. you been out with, with her and Sandy? Like I haven't been out with her, with Sandy. No, man, it's, so I did um, a shoot with them for a Patagonia thing last winter, and we went out here in the mountains in Squamish and Lilwat Nation and stuff. Like we went out the Duffy and stuff, and Sandy's Lilwat, Maya's Squamish, mm. and it was so powerful to hear them talk about their stories and like ancestral yes. stories for like Sandy to be like, oh, like my grandpa like helped build this cabin and like came up here and there's these stories about like, yeah. um, you know, like avalanches and, and like knowing which way the snow is blowing off Mount Curry, how the avalanche conditions are going to be. And it's like, fucking hey man, like Western science cannot like, no matter how many numbers and digits we put to it, like we've still only been here for a hundred years and people get so tied in this yeah. kind of culture to like, oh, well, this is like what we've always done in the family. Like I've always, my family's a logging family. We've been doing this. It's like, calm down dude your grandpa logged and before that he was an immigrant because there were no other opportunities your grandpa was an entrepreneur he was an adapter like things are changing you should adapt too exactly it's like we will never have that like long-standing ancestral cultural connection to these lands that these nations have never and like yeah the way in which the way in which maya like tells the stories of this land like the stories around like garibaldi Mm. it's just like so okay yeah it's so humbling yeah. to just be like, yeah, these spaces have been occupied since time out of mind. People have fled to them during floods. Like there are so many eons right. of stories. And and when, when thinking about like, yeah, Western science, Maya and I have had this conversation around like avalanche safety training courses mm-hmm. and how it's all based on Western snow science. Yeah. How, why aren't we having conversations about how to integrate like indigenous science perspectives because they've been here again since time out of mind they've been navigating these lands they've been able to 
dodge avalanches, dodge catastrophe, right. not based on taking like digging a pit, not based on taking a microscope to the to the um, to the snow. They have other ways of doing it. So where can we start to take their knowledge with their permission mm. and integrate it into what we're learning? Because, again, it's just like small ways that we can breathe life back into their culture, back into their ways of being as like a community. We can all take part. Sure. Yeah. And and I like to put like just verbiage wise, because I think like words can do a, a yeah. lot for how like sentence structure forms the thought in your mind. But it's not about us with their permission, taking their knowledge and integrating it into Sharing. ours. It's like, well, it's like our systems need to integrate within theirs. Yes. Like yeah. the other way around. Like Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like following their, like Maya calls it, like their protocol. Right. And like watching, yeah, adapting our systems. I just had, I just chatted with Maya the other day yeah. and now I'm like, oh yeah, there are all these other amazing things that we should talk about. Yeah. So I'm going to have to have her on shortly again. again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you <sighs> think that recreation is an extractive um, I do. I, I think, um, I think it can be. Yeah. I think it, um, in, in the world we live in today, it's become so commonplace to like, you know, for likes and followers to get out and get mm -hmm. the photo of ski tips, looking down some sick coolie. It's like fucking rad, dude, get yeah. after it. But at the same time, like as part of that, are you promoting something that is like going out and, and just getting people to like, Yeah use these lands like high octane get as much out of them as you can before you go back to your desk job nine to five yeah and i think there's this real dis disconnect with that where like people are always trying to get like the gnarliest sickest coolest raddest thing or maybe not even that like for the for the casual person just like going up to like whistler on the weekend because it's like what they do mm -hmm. um but like you go up there exclusively to like recreate and that's where you recreate and then you leave it and you go you back go to your normal life i think yeah um and this is also like a thing that's definitely rooted in privilege because all of society is like like there's so much diversity in like what um is even achievable for for certain people but i think in order for recreation to not be extractive like that you really have to form like a bond with it that goes beyond just like the saturday sunday grind like it has to be something that like you integrate into your life and like it becomes like ritual or place like there's like spirit to it where you like mm -hmm. acknowledge the land and acknowledge like your role within it mm. and you're like you know, going out there picking up trash. You're like, to, like sometimes, yeah. sometimes I think like the biggest thing you can do to like truly recreate is just like, like walk a mountain bike trail and pick up things or look around. Cause like mountain biking, especially like you're going so fast. You're not looking around. You're just like, no. you're on the dirt and you're like, <laughs> and your eyes like 10 feet ahead of you. You're totally. like, you're never like in yeah. it. Yeah. And it's like, it's fun as hell. Like it's great. <laughs> so like, yeah. Hacking some brown powers. <laughs> it's, it's a time, but like, there's another element to it where it's like if you miss everything that you're going by, you're never going to actually form that that mm -hmm. care for it. Mm -hmm. And I think like with nerdy about nature stuff, that's where I've been like trying to like educate people. I'm like, that's a hemlock tree. This is a spruce tree. So people can like start to see that and make those connections to the lands that they're on because otherwise we're just like going to be taking it for granted. And then like and then it doesn't matter what the quality or the health of a forest ecosystem is. As long as there's a bike trail, it checks the box, you know. Yeah. And we need to start thinking on like broader scales to like how these ecosystems function beyond our immediate needs of recreation. Yeah. You know, it's like, do they serve cultural purposes, ecological purposes? Like what, Yeah. what's the value here? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think what like we're both getting at too is just like the current mindset and like that kind of, yeah, the mindset around the outdoors in the communities in which we live is, is really extractive. Like the mm -hmm. relationship that a lot of people have, again, super 
super one-sided mm-hmm. but it's susceptible to change like for sure it is and i think like we talked a little bit about this the other night too um the concept of like giving back to these communities and mm. giving back to these lands like i love where that mentality is at and, and the direction that's going but again going to verbiage i think there's an element of like of shifting that somehow that I don't exactly know how, but the idea of giving back to me reads is very transactional. It's like you get something out of it. Oh, cool. Here's like five bucks for parking to the local community or like, uh, like, you know, yeah, it's like very much like one side. It's like, you give me this and I'll give you this back. Totally. But we need to change from this like transactional one versus one or one to one Mm -hmm. um, system to kind of one that is more encompassing of everything. So it's like, it just like, we don't, like to get to a point when we don't need to have to give back because the way that we're doing things is it's reciprocal in nature like it's just it's it's encompassing of all the sustainable elements of it like beyond just like an environmental sustainable sustainability but like an economic and ecological Mm -hmm. cultural societal Mm -hmm. psychological yeah physiological there's like all these different realms within um the definition of sustainable that we just aren't considering totally totally that's definitely something to think on too yeah like that one's going to occupy space in my brain for a while. <laughs> I know. And I'm still trying to like even come up with like the right words to like, you know. No, but I know where you're getting phrases. at. Yeah. Yeah. The right language around it. Because giving back is great. Sure. But like, you know, we need to create a system where giving back isn't necessary because it just is good all it, around. Exactly. It's not like I'm giving back because I've done something. Right. That is extractive. So exactly. ah, I must pay you. Exactly. It's like oil companies paying for education. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. You're like, thank you, I guess, but you're also destroying the world we live exactly. in. So how good is this education going to be? So how can we do it in a way that's just ultimately good? Yeah, exactly. I don't know if there's an answer to that. Oh, man. <laughs> we can sit on that for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of goes back to those those heavy conversations yeah. we had at the beginning of the first <laughs> conversation. Maybe it's better those ones got left out. I don't know. <laughs> Would you want to rehash it? That, we could. <laughs> um, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Um, I were, don't either. Well, we were talking about the heaviness of the world and how... Um, oh, yeah. Sometimes One thing that we were talking about was sometimes how it feels like, you know, you as an individual are doing things that you believe to be like right mm-hmm. and good and 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 it like fuels your fire and, and it fuels your right your 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 reason for being and then sometimes they're like you're doing all of that and there's still these like huge powers above you that almost feel like a giant foot coming over you and yeah. just like squashing you like what is what kind of power do i actually hold as an individual to make yeah. the change i hope to see yeah yeah and it's tough because it it's just like it, it, it's really hard because you know, sometimes I, I feel things very deeply all the time. Like for me, like feelings are very big and I'll get into spaces of just like, for what am I doing this? Like I work my nine to five job and then I just like fill all my other time with like this, this line of work, um, this passion of mine. And, and I'm like, and, and then like, for what, like, why am I doing this? And those feelings can feel really big sometimes when it just kind of feels like you're trying so hard, but the world around you isn't changing. Right. And you're like, oh, like, why am I still having these conversations that I was having like three years ago? Like, why haven't we at least moved the needle a little bit? But then you'll receive that like one email from that one person mm. who is like who who you had an impact on that you would have never known you had an impact on. And then it's like big exhale and like reground. That's why, yeah, you know, I do it. Brings you back to the juice. Yeah. Well, I think like seeing you here and being able to talk to you like i think it's important to remember that like 
yeah, it can feel daunting and like really difficult to like make any progress here. But you even being here is the change happening, mm, right? Like yeah. 20, 30 years ago, I don't know if there would have been an uh, Indian girl growing up skiing and creating a like community yeah. for inclusivity and diversity. And like, there's no way that that would have happened yeah. back then totally. at the scale it is now. So it's like, just you existing here is the change. Totally. Right? And there's so much of that like unseen change that you're like then rippling down to like totally. other people. Like, cause for every one person who emails you and says that, there's probably 10 other people who just yeah. don't get around to emailing. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Like, you're totally right. Like, it's, it's always worth it for like those one, that one random girl who comes up to you in a bar and is like, I know you. And you're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you from Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Like I did with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like the fact that I can exist confidently in this space and that I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are doing the same work. Like Maya is in right. the same line of work. Juju with Color of the Trails. Juju like literally walked so that I could run, I often feel. Like I was I was passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion in outdoor spaces, and Juju was like doing the work before I was. And so the fact, and like my friend like Anahid, and they run a, an organization called Belay All, or take over skateboarding based in the city, like the fact that all of us exist and know each other and are supported by like larger communities is, like you're saying, like a really great example of the fact that like the needle's moving mm -hmm. and sometimes it feels slow. Sometimes it feels frustrating. Sometimes there are still people who say like really harmful shit online and that can be really discouraging. Yeah. But people are horrible online. They're really mean sometimes. Yeah. But the fact I, I'm really grateful that we also all have each other to like soundboard with and work with and mm -hmm. like share these grievances with because you know if i'm going through something i can go to maya and be like how did you manage this and she can provide me with that that insight and that knowledge and so i have a lot of gratitude for other folks who are also in this line of work who've just like shared their knowledge and, and we all create these spaces together and like we just can accomplish so much more together totally yeah all together all together um is there anything else you'd like to add or talk to talk about while we got the time? I don't think so. Where can people go to find out more support inclusivity? Yeah. So inclusivity right now just exists on Instagram. So you can find it at, at inclusivity. Uh, and then I'm at Indra. It's I-N-D-R-U-H. Indra. Indra. <laughs> it's always funny. People think that that's how my name is spelled. And then my email address is how my name is actually spelled. But oh. they'll like start the email with hi, Indra, with a U-H. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> you just spelled it out. Yeah. <laughs> you should just get both emails to just answer I should, from both. Yeah. yeah. Or just like Indra at gmail.com. I wonder if that's been taken. Yeah, that'd be a good one to have. I have to check, yeah. <laughs> um, before we go, I'm going to bring it back full circle. Tell me about the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the American dream is a concept of assimilation that everybody feels as though that they want to fit in, but it's a box that is only actually meant to comfortably hold one type of person, and that is a fucking nuclear white family. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Could not agree with you more on that. Like, that's, that's truly it, right? Like, I feel like so many people, like, immigrate here and, like, or back in the day would immigrate and they would want to have like the American dream. You'd see mm -hmm. it on TV all the time and that's what you want. So you go, you, you give up everything mm -hmm. to achieve this American dream. And throughout that process of surrendering, you surrender 
everything that made you who you were and everything that made you like unique mm-hmm. to fit into this box that actually doesn't want to hold you. Yeah. And that actually isn't like enjoyable. Like no, people generally aren't happy in those situations. Like you end up like settling, like yeah, quarter life, midlife crisis. Like I think American, and when I say American, like Turtle Island, Canada included. Yeah. And probably parts of Europe are the only places where like midlife crisis really happen. Totally. Because it's like you've had to sacrifice so much of who you are to fit into these boxes that society dictates you should fit into. And then you are like halfway through your life. You're like, holy fuck, I'm not happy. Exactly. Exactly. Because, yeah, you were just sold this Mm -hmm. like consumeristic, capitalistic idea that everybody has told you is the dream. And so you make all of your choices and all of these sacrifices to get there. And like I said, you just like lose yourself along the way, which is why these crises happen. Right. You've like totally lost yourself to this concept that probably wasn't super achievable to begin Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. And it's tough because the systems that we live in are so set up to like further that narrative and keep you kind of along that path, you know, keep your credit score high, get your house, get your car, yeah, your white picket fence, um, that it's really difficult to like create anything that like that differs from the norm. Yeah. And it feels uncomfortable and it feels wrong. Right. You know, to like make those decisions that that differ. Because again, if we want to come back to like representation, there's so much representation of like in like TV in like ads yeah, of what that looks like. And up until now, I mean like up until more recently, but like back in the day, I feel like that was the only representation that you got of like what life in America was mm-hmm. like. And so that's all people are seeing and that's all they're living towards. And there weren't any, there wasn't anything like showing you a story of something different right. in a, in a good way, in like an achievable aspirational narrative. Right. And so, so much of it, so many things in life come back to like what you're, told what what is like represented to you mm-hmm. and then that's what you go and aspire to be and it and, and i think it, it i think it becomes really hard for you know like racialized families who immigrate wanting that yeah and there's there's so many great books nonfiction and fiction about it i read it i read a really amazing um fiction book called all my rage and it centers two pakistani kids who's families immigrated to California and I just think everybody should read it I'm I'd be so curious yeah yeah all my rage all my rage add it to your book list add it to your book list I'd love to know what a white person thinks about it yeah because I ate it up in like four days my mom ate it up in two days my aunt just ordered it and I think for us it it resonated super deeply Mm -hmm. and it felt like I couldn't put it down I cried so much Mm. my mom cried a lot reading it yeah, I haven't but, had a, bo- a good book that oh. makes you cry in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it got me, so. Yeah, and, and it's funny, though, because, like, even as, again, funny in the dark comedy sense, mm. even as we, as a society, seemingly progress towards, like, a more diverse and inclusive future, mm-hmm. um, even in, like, the TV ads and stuff, it's still just, like, you know, it's, like, maybe a mixed-race family now instead of the kind of classic white nuclear family, but they're still in that suburban white picket fence house. Yeah. Or they're in like some swanky apartment. Like it's still kind of feeding into that like consumerist model that keeps people like feeling like they need to, uh, you know, work a, a nine to five job and achieve a lot and have a high paying salary to afford the things that makes you quote unquote happy in life. But totally. Yeah. Where's the storyline of like the Indian family who rents their house and doesn't own it? I right. want that story. Right. 
Lord knows I'll never be able to own property. So. Oh my God. Certainly not in this part of the world. <laughs> yeah. No way. In this economy? <laughs> um, in this economy? Are you kidding me? Um, just because I forgot to ask you about it. Tell me, what does it mean to racialize the outdoors? <sighs> racialize the outdoors. I mean, kind of feels like, you know, face value there. Like it just means to create a space where like it is so much more encompassing of who actually lives in these spaces mm -hmm. you know like you like walk onto a trail and you it just it looks like how the city looks mm -hmm. maybe maybe not vancouver because it's also not the most diverse but it looks more how like toronto looks in nature <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like just like creating spaces where like everybody can show up and you're not immediately thinking like that is a group of like Indian tourists like like right. that 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 fact that they are Indian they are other doesn't cross your mind mm -hmm. they're just people they are just there to hike they yep. are just there to ski like it's gonna take us so long and I don't know if we'll even see it in my lifetime but it's just like it just means creating spaces where like you the first thing that comes to your mind isn't the fact that they're like a person of mm -hmm. color you acknowledge like you know we obviously still acknowledge that they are because people have moved totally. through different experiences in life it's not this whole like i don't see color thing i know <laughs> it's I a weird balance i love how um how the wording on that has changed because like i remember yeah. growing up people being like i don't see color and that being like a thing that you were like proud, proud of, of but like now it's like no that's arrogant as fuck yeah totally it's all it's about seeing in color it's about yes. seeing the richness and the shades and and yeah. all the diversity that exists here and acknowledging that totally yeah totally so yeah like i think your question is like it's a really good question i don't actually know if i fully have the answer to it but and i don't know if it's something that we'll see in in my lifetime but i think it just means like creating spaces where like everybody sees themselves represented and never has to question you know their deservingness to be there because mm -hmm. everybody is deserving to be there whether or not they belong yeah what if you were to have like any message to like the generalized white audience listening to this mm. podcast or watching here like what would mm. you say that they like what can people do to help further these ideas and to help kind of bring this diversity inclusion I mean, equity into the outdoor spaces and, and not not yeah. just outdoor spaces but like everywhere everywhere within their lives in the city within their corporate structures within yeah their, like everywhere be willing to like get uncomfortable and be willing to like take a seat so that somebody else can stand you know like i feel like so many people you mean stands so somebody else can take a seat yeah or like take a seat so that somebody else can stand and share their voice Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like a round, a round table. Yeah. You were talking like auditorium <laughs> setting. Yeah, gotcha. kind of. Okay. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, yours works too. But um, but yeah, it's just like, I feel like a lot of people are like, I value like diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they don't want to give up any aspect of like the privilege that they've already owned in life so that somebody else can have right. an opportunity. And I think that's, a, I think that's like, asks people to get uncomfortable. It asks them to like question their privilege. It asks people to like, yeah, maybe give up things that they haven't, earned in mm. life you know things that were just given to them mm -hmm. and so i think like what i can you know a message i have for people is just like look at your friend groups like look at who you go out and recreate with look at like your work groups and ask yourself like who's there and who's not and how can you bring other people into the fold mm -hmm. authentically and like how can you like really connect with other folks and like just diversify the voices that you have at your tables the experiences that you have because again like life has set us up to like, like we were saying earlier, like follow that like one path, mm -hmm. you know, like you, you, you grow up skiing at the age of two, you're around other people who have skied since they were two, you all make the same decisions to go to university, 
or you all make the same decisions to go and take a gap year. Yeah. Then you all go and plant trees together. And then you all move to Squamish. <laughs> you're hitting so many stereotypes on the head. And and you're all just kind of within your own white little echo chamber. Exactly. White liberal. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's um, an incredibly important thing for everybody of all walks of life to consider. Yeah. Yeah. Just consider the decisions you made and the and and maybe even didn't make that got you yeah to where you are well and you were saying like the things that were given to you mm-hmm. i think a lot of that which is quote given to people of privilege isn't necessarily even acknowledged as given yeah so it's like being able to take a step back and recognize um yeah the privileges that got you to where you were that were like subconscious or whatever it may be like mm-hmm. the, you know the fact that like you walked into a McDonald's and was able to get a job at 15 without showing a resume because you were white and not like, yeah. like there are like so many little things within the society that we live in that like you don't even think of and you take for granted. Totally. You got a job in your second year of college because your uncle worked at this accounting firm. Right. You know? Yeah. Or like you were able to take a gap year uh, because you didn't have to worry about, you know, money or scholarship exactly. or things like that. Like there's just like very small things that are rooted um, that other people don't necessarily have like the option to have those same experiences. Mm-hmm. And and that's important to, to acknowledge. Totally. Awesome. Cool. Anything else? I don't think so. Heck yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having really me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm so happy to have been here. Yeah. And we got to do it twice. I know. <laughs> At least part of it twice. Yeah. I feel like it was better the second time. I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> That sure was a fun little conversation, huh? I'm going to throw a link to inclusivity in the show notes here so you can check that out and support Indra and all the great work that she's doing. And if you're enjoying this podcast, which I really, truly hope you are, um, you can do me a solid by liking it and sharing it around however it is that you feel it's best to share it around. And if you want to support this podcast as well as all those quirky, fun little videos you find on social media um, that help educate you and inspire you to become engaged in the outdoor world, you can do that at nerdyaboutnature.com where you can become a Patreon supporter, um, which is a really great thing that helps give me the financial stability so I can afford to put more time and energy into this type of content, you know, doing the research, doing the advocacy that you're all um, enjoying so much. So yeah, thank Thank you all again so much for joining me on this Nerdy About Nature pod chat series thing. Um, Got a couple great guests lined up for the next few episodes here. So stay tuned and uh, hope to catch you outside. Cheers. Cheers.